I'm just glad we can be together. Uh, today we're going to do a bit of an intro to a new series uh, on the book of Proverbs from the Bible. And I just want to say that uh, we're going to sprinkle the lo- uh, love letters messages here and there. Um, I still have a few that are on my heart to do. Actually, uh, Chris Waugh is going to be doing one to the youth uh, soon. I'm excited to hear that. But I really have, I've, I've had one brewing on my heart for, actually, I would say years uh, to the, the gay community, uh, which is pretty significant in the city of Providence. And I have a lot to say um, from my heart to that community. So I just don't want to be quick about that. I just don't want to be, uh, you know, throw it together. I'm really letting that one, it's a delicate topic, of course. And so I really want to kind of let that one emerge from the presence of the Lord. Uh, but I'd also like to do one to the refugee community, which is pretty significant as well in the city of Providence. And I think the Lord has a lot, lot to say to that uh, community, that broken and often just vulnerable community that has suffered uh, some incredible trauma. So be praying for those. But uh, I'm not sure when I'll do those. It's just kind of like when they come, when it's the right week, then, then we'll, we'll do that. So I usually don't do two series at the same time, but that's kind of what we're doing uh, for, for a while, for the summer. Uh, Book of Proverbs, we will uh, today just kind of give you a sampling, a little intro. We'll kind of walk through chapter one a bit just to give you sort of an appetizer to this great book. I love the book of Proverbs. I started reading it uh, before I began following Jesus in early 1989. It was in the, the cold of winter. And I was really at a, just in a point in my life of just trying to get right, you know, just trying to pull out of the dark place I was in. And a couple guys introduced me to the gospel. And I don't know if they gave me a Bible. I can't remember. Or if I, I probably, I, don't, I can't imagine that I had one, but maybe I bought one. I, just, I can't remember. But anyways... As I was flipping through the Bible, I was captured by Proverbs because they were so short. It's like, oh, I could read these, you know. This seems kind of easy. Just these little pithy one-line statements, sentences, really uh, interesting. Some of them are kind of like riddles. And I was just drawn in to the book of Proverbs. I, I think I probably read some other parts of the Bible as well. But Proverbs was the book that changed my life. It was it felt like it felt like a father speaking speaking to a child. Um, they they kind of ruined me, you know, in a really really good way. You know, I think we, the, well, the Bible says, you know, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. 
I think it's a very human thing to uh, do what seems right in your own eyes. You know, I think we we, we kind of have our own idea of what is right and what is wrong, and it just seems good to us, no matter what your lifestyle is. <laughs> you know, I think we everyone feels like they're doing you know the right things is the right way to live, and they justify how they live. And the book of Proverbs just slices right through that and defines for us, from God's perspective, what is right and what is wrong. And so, you know, back in 89, it, it, was, it was just an eye-opening thing. It was deeply convicting to me. And pretty much shattered my own views of goodness and thinking that I was a good person. It really just leveled me before God and called me to come into the presence of God. So I'm I'm excited about this great book. It was written mostly by. Solomon, who was the son of uh, David. Um, David was a king. Solomon, of course, was one of the great, greatest uh, of all the kings, had tremendous wealth. And you can read all about Solomon in the Old Testament. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes as well, uh, which is a a great book. But the Proverbs um, are, like I said, they're just short sentences mostly there's some kind of longer pieces kind of poetry i guess but most of them are just these memorable one-liner sentences that speak to a whole variety of different subjects and so we're the way we're going to approach it today i'm just going to kind of ramble and just give a bit of an intro Uh, but each week we'll look at a different topic so we're not going to go chapter by chapter but we'll Uh, take uh, one particular subject and sort of draw that from several different chapters out of the book of Proverbs. Uh, So um, I'm just excited to do this. And, uh, you know, as a pastor, uh, I think all pastors do this. You know, we, well, some pastors just literally just preach right through the Bible from Genesis right to Revelation, and then just they do it again. (laughs) I don't know many pastors that do that. Um, but I've heard some do that. But usually, I think pastors are assessing the times that we live in. They're assessing the spiritual condition of the flock. They're thinking about the state of things in the region that they live in. Uh, you know, for me, I'm thinking about New England. I'm thinking about America. Obviously, we're We've all been thinking a lot about the pandemic and we've, you know, kind of coming out of the pandemic and you sort of, what have we learned uh, during that? But, you know, we kind of think about the, our audience, you know, we think about the people around us and we, we, we pray and we, we ask the Lord to lead us and, and, and we ask the Lord to tell us what to, what to preach on next, um, and hopefully we're led by the Spirit in these things. Sometimes that's hard to figure out. But I think uh, this particular one was very clear to me that this is 
this is kind of like the perfect thing to dig into in this particular season. Because Proverbs, as I said, really gives us um, a clear understanding of what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't bend. It doesn't, it, it isn't afraid to just speak, you know. Uh, it, it just talks to us, kind of straight talk from God, from the Father. And I, I feel like if there was ever a time we needed something like that, it's it's now. I mean, I've been walking with the Lord for a few decades. I've never seen such confusion morally uh, since I began walking with the Lord. Uh, not just outside in society, which is definitely true, but within the the wider church. I can't speak for other countries, but I'm speaking for America. There is so much moral confusion in the church. And so we really need to get back to basics and get back to what the word of God teaches in every aspect of our lives. Uh, Because, well, I'll give you a few reasons why this is important, this kind of recalibrating of our moral lives. Uh, you, You know we have a conscience, right? Do you know what conscience is? It's that thing that God put inside of us that tells us right from wrong. But it's something that can be affected over time. Like the Bible talks about a seared conscience, for example. So we are, we're born with this kind of pure conscience that informs us of what is right and what is wrong, no matter what country you're from, where you're, even if you're in a remote village somewhere, you are born with this conscience from God. But the conscience over time, based on how we live and even how we're taught around us, it begins to be defiled is another word in the, in the New Testament that our conscience can be defiled or seared. It can be changed. It can be altered. And what is happening today is that many of God's people have either a seared conscience or a defiled conscience or just a misinformed, confused conscience. So their understanding of right and wrong is not biblical. Uh, So the book of Proverbs is useful in sort of recalibrating our conscience. And we we really need to do this on a regular basis. Um, Because if you just go by what you feel, well, it seems right to me, so I guess I'm going to do it, you know. Uh, We constantly need to let the Word of God refine us and sort of, you know, make sure that we're thinking the way God is thinking. So Proverbs will do that. And part of the reason this book is timely for us is that, like I said, there's so much 
uh, moral confusion. And of course, moral confusion leads to, it leads to sin. It leads to falling away. Maybe it's people think that what they're doing is okay uh, in their mind, but it's actually sin and it's leading to other sins. And we've seen just a lot of falling away. I would say in the last five years, I have seen more marriages fall apart, more people uh, fall back into sin hard. And I've seen people fall away so hard that they don't want to identify as Christians anymore. Um, it's, it's happening. And of course, the Bible predicts this. You just read through the New Testament and there are so many warnings about in the last days, uh, men will be lovers of themselves. And uh, in the last days, many will depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, right? There's a lot of, <laughs> the Bible doesn't have like a, a real positive message for the last days. Uh, I mean, there's this remnant of people that will flourish. So that is positive and, and God will keep his people, but it predicts that there will be a great falling away in the latter days, a great apostasy. And so that is happening. That's happened in my lifetime. That has accelerated in the last five years. Uh, during the pandemic, it has certainly put people over the edge into their falling away from the Lord. And we need the compass of the word of God. We need to be clear about what is right and what is wrong. The other reason we need it is because of the mission of God. You know, I think that we now live in a day, again, this is just America, but I can't speak for other places around the world. But in America, the church at large has lost credibility in in a major way we've you know i think at one time you know the pastor of the church was often the kind of the unspoken leader of the town especially in new england that's just kind of how it was he was the educated one and the sort of the moral compass for the town and and the church uh, has you know, throughout history, um, been the voice of morality in society. But that, that day is gone. Uh, the world does not look to the church for uh, a deep understanding of morality and virtue. Uh, because the church has done things worse than the world. I mean, we live in a day where there are people who are not believers. There are people who are agnostics or even atheists who are actually living lives of greater integrity and greater sexual purity and greater discipline in terms of drugs and alcohol um, than, than Christians. And that, that's, that's really sad. I mean, I think that just the credibility of the church and Christians has been lost. And if our credibility is lost our message is not going to be taken seriously. And so for that reason, it is imperative that we return, that we sort of recover biblical virtue, that we recover just this idea of walking blameless 
before the Lord, walking above reproach. You know, being above reproach is not just supposed to be for a small handful of elders who oversee the church. I mean, we as uh, men in this church, we are to walk above reproach. We are to be blameless before God. It doesn't mean perfection, of course, but it means uh, that we're to live holy before the Lord. And, of course, the same for the ladies. But I think if we don't have that kind of reputation, um, and it's not what we tell people. It's not saying, telling people in the workplace how blameless we are. (laughs) People just see it. They just know it. You know, people know your character. People in our families, they know it. They can see it. It's a visible thing. Um, In the workplace, it doesn't take long for the manager in the workplace, the boss, the owner of the company, for coworkers to, they, we kind of know in the workplace. It, we don't need to be Christians with discernment. Everybody knows who has character and who doesn't. Everyone knows who's a reliable person, who's an honest person. Now, maybe we can fool some people uh, a little bit, but we, we are all pretty good at figuring out who has character. On a sports team, or in the workplace, or in our families, we know it. And so we live in a day where Christians have lost that moral footing. They've lost their character. They've lost their virtue. And because of that, they've lost their voice. And the message of Jesus is not taken seriously. So I think that's that's a reason why the book of Proverbs is timely for us right now. You know, a third reason is that because because there's been this defiled conscience and this confusion about what is right and what is wrong, we now have uh, this trend, I guess we could call it, of God's people who, well, they either kind of know that they're doing some things wrong, and but they kind of downplay it. They don't think it's a big deal. Uh, you know, the blood of Jesus covers me, and it's not a, not a big deal. Other people do it. I mean, who's, who's good anyways? We're all sinful people. So they either kind of have that kind of mentality, and so they allow, tolerate uh, sin in their life. Or others are just, they're just deceived. They, they're doing things, saying things, their habits, uh, attitudes, all kinds of different lifestyle issues, and they've convinced themselves that what they're doing is not wrong. But it is wrong. And so whether you know it's wrong or don't know it's wrong, it doesn't matter. Sin is still going to destroy, right? You know, whether we, you know, uh, know that, we have an illness or not doesn't really isn't really the issue, right? If it's a deadly illness, it's it's going to take its toll um, over time. So, sadly, what we have now is many Christians who, because there's so much sin in their life and things that they're allowing and tolerating. Um, They've lost that closeness with God. 
We're designed to enjoy the presence of Jesus, right? We're designed. Now we go through dry times. I, I know that. But we're designed to find our joy and our satisfaction in God. But we live in a, in a day where many have allowed so much confusion and sin to come into their lives that they've just drifted from that place of enjoyment of God. That's more tragic. I think this is the one that really breaks my heart the most. There's a lot of uh, believers who are heavy, uh, dragging their feet. They live with constant, heavy condemnation over their life. They don't have the presence of God. They don't really enjoy drawing close to God. They don't enjoy the word of God. They feel guilty that they don't pray more. They feel guilty that they don't read the Bible more. And they have a whole whatever list of, you know, idols. That, because if you're not finding your satisfaction in God, you're going to find it somewhere. You're going to, because we're, we're built to worship. And so if you're not drawing your joy from the well of worship to God, you're going to, you're going to find it at the gym. You're going to find it in front of the TV. You're going to find it in a hobby or in work or in, you know, good things and bad things. You're going to find it somewhere. And so now we live in a day where God's people in America are given to all kinds of idolatry and they are discontent in their relationship with God. So that's another reason why the book of Proverbs is important to recalibrate our moral lives to make sure that we're living according to God's word. And by the way, right from the outset, I'm going to thread throughout this whole series, I'm going to thread the great promises in the scriptures that God will give us grace to live out a holy life and a blameless life. You know, sometimes we get really confused about this. You know, we, we, we just kind of say, well, you know, we're all, we're all sinful compared to God. We're all gross and disgusting. No, that, that's not true. Okay, uh, when you think about the descriptions of some of the characters in the Bible, nobody was perfect except for Jesus, right? But Job was a righteous man, the Bible says. The Bible says Moses was more meek than anybody on the face of the earth. Um, you know, Paul was a humble man. He was a righteous man, probably the greatest Christian who ever lived. Jesus had great things to say about John the Baptist. No man born of a woman is greater than John. Uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah. We could go right down the list, all these great characters of the Bible. And again, some of them made great mistakes and failed in different ways. But there is, I mean, think about Daniel. Think about Joseph. He's a great example. I mean, there's some that didn't fall into great sin, right? I mean, I know David uh, fell with Bathsheba, but... Take somebody like Daniel or like Joseph. These were godly men. These were blameless men. Uh, Daniel, even in Babylon, surrounded by so much wickedness and, and sin, refused to compromise and stayed strong in the Lord. So we're not perfect, but don't ever believe that you can't attain 
a place of being above reproach and blameless and godly and righteous. If that were the case, then nobody's qualified to be an elder. Nobody's qualified to be a pastor. How would we even choose leaders in a church? How would we know who to put in, you know, as our, as our rent ministers or our uh, rent elders? We wouldn't be able to do it. Well, I, just, I would have to conclude, well, we're all sinful, gross, immoral people. No, that's not true. There's a reason why the elders in this church are the elders. Because they are walking with God and they are blameless and they are above reproach. They're not perfect, but they're living their lives aligned with scripture, which is really just an example for all of us to follow. All of us should do that. So the grace of God is sufficient. You will hear me say that throughout this series. Because when we talk about a particular aspect of uh, virtue or our lifestyles, you know, there can be the, oh, I know. I, like I, what I don't want us to do is just be like, oh, that was a good one, man. That was convicting. Dude, that was like... That was like crazy. Yeah, I'm, we're so messed. I have such an anger problem. Now, it's good to identify your issue and to be convicted by the word of God, but we have to move out of conviction, right, to appropriating the grace of God in our life. The grace of God is not just a blanket that covers us and, and, and just kind of makes us clean because, you know, it's, well, thank God for the grace of God, because I'm a terrible, wicked person, but thank God for the grace umbrella that we just hold. It's not, that's not the only aspect of grace is the power of God. Grace is the life of God that enables us to live a holy and pure and blameless and above reproach lifestyle. Amen. Thank God for the grace of God, because without it, we would not be able to do that. We would not be able to be holy. We would not be able to be pure or above reproach in in any way. Um, So praise the Lord for his wonderful grace. But I think this is what we need in this particular time, is just to recalibrate and get back to the basics of what is right and what is wrong. The book of Hebrews talks about maturity as something that it's just ability to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. Um, But again, I I want us to just not know what is right and wrong. I want us to do it. And that's what Proverbs is all about. It's meant to empower us. It's meant to move us toward righteousness. Righteousness. So I'll give you a little bit, kind of just walk you through some of the first chapters. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple. When you see the word simple, uh, we don't really use this word, but it, I mean, we use it, but not in the way the Bible uses it. It, it, it means naive. It means ignorance, uh, sort of a willful ignorance when, when a person is simple. Uh, so the book of Proverbs gives prudence uh, to the simple. Prudence is just the ability to direct your own life into godliness and live your life in every aspect in a way that is right and pure and God-honoring. 
It's not just knowing right and wrong. You know, prudence or wisdom is another word that you'll see often in, in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is not just knowing things. Wisdom is knowing things and appropriating them and just doing these things in our lives. The wise man, as, as it says in the book of James, uh, wisdom is first of all pure, impartial. I forgot that there's a list of things, but they're, they're action words. Wisdom is how you live, not just what you know. Uh, verse 6, to understand a proverb, actually, uh, I skipped one there. Let the wise hear and increase learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. That's one sentence, actually, that those first six uh, verses. But just kind of talking about the little intro. The, these are the proverbs. This is what the proverbs do. This is what the, the, these 31 chapters are going to accomplish. Um, and then this is a key verse right here, verse 7. And you'll see this theme come up uh, several times in the book of Proverbs. And it's, it's a very foundational idea. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I really hope that through this series, you will understand the fear of the Lord. This is another one of those uh, confusing things that sometimes people are like, well, I don't serve the Lord based on fear, but I serve him based on love. Okay, it's not that simple. You, know, you can't just throw out all of the verses about the fear of the Lord in the Bible and just set up a new way of approaching the Lord out of love. It's it's both, okay? You know, yes, of course, we are moved, compelled by the love of God. We are overwhelmed by the grace of God and just what he did on the cross for us. And that just moves us, right? But there is this element of the fear of the Lord. And we can't uh, just reduce it down to, well, it just means a, sort of a, you know, a reverence. It's deeper than that. It's... It's a dread. The fear of the Lord is just, it's an awful trembling before God that you would displease the Lord. It's not just the, the reality of, wow, if I live the wrong way, I could suffer the judgment of God. Like that's definitely part of it. And that is scriptural, that is biblical in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that we should fear God in that sense because of the judgments of God. Well, we would be really kind of stupid not to when you really think about who God is and what he has done in judging his own people. Never mind people outside the, the family of God, but even his own people, we should tremble at that. But it's also this, it's a dynamic word. It also carries this idea of being, I'm going to use the word terrified, terrified of displeasing the Lord, not just because of his punishment, because of his love, because of what he's done, because he's been so good to us, because he is who he is 
Because he is God. And he is worthy. And he deserves our utmost. The, 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 the fear of the Lord is like, ah, oh, I just, I can't dishonor. I don't want to dishonor God. And the fear of the Lord is this attitude against evil, against sin in our lives. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So it's a dynamic word. That's just a little bit. We'll probably take one week and and really dig into the fear of the Lord. Um, But it says here it's the beginning of knowledge. It's really the, it's the foundation. It's the the starting point of really understanding who God is and really living the way God wants us to live, the fear of the Lord. Well, then it goes on and says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. I love that. Just this kind of fatherly admonition to us. He says, For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. I think there's some, you know, there's just some imagery there of a garland is something beautiful. It's something the pendant hangs around. It's something visible, right? It's visible. It's beautiful. It's something that we carry with us uh, at all times. And I think that's what wisdom and understanding is for us. It should be uh, it should be something that is clearly seen by everyone. Then he says, my son, if sinners entice you. Now, he just gives one sample example. This could have been, I think, any number of different, you know, he's just exposing the voice of evil within us, right? Remember the cartoons, the voice of good and the voice of evil. He's just going to really distinguish those voices. And it, you know, this could be a voice inside of our head. This could be somebody speaking to us. This could be the voice of just like a general voice in society. But we need to not only distinguish, or I should say discern God's voice, but we also need to discern the voice of sin and the voice of Satan in our lives. But he gives us a clear example. I love how it's in black and white for us. If sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Let Sheol, like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods and we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us, among us. We will have we'll all have one purse. <laughs> Again, it's just a, you know, one of hundreds of different possible scenarios of, I mean, I remember when I was, I want to say eight years old, uh, there was, I was hanging with the, the wrong crowd in the neighborhood I don't know if there even was a right crowd in in, in my neighborhood. This was in Enfield, Connecticut. But I remember that there was a couple guys. I won't name their names, but they were brothers, and they were they were just bad kids. But uh, bad kids. I mean, I was only eight, and so somehow they you know they talked me into 
breaking into a house of this family that was away on vacation or something like that. So I broke into my first house at eight years old and took all this stuff out. And, you know, it's just like this. Oh, yeah, we'll do it. We'll divide up the we'll divide up the stuff. You know, you can have this and you can have this. And I took a, a radio I remember, and my dad was like, where'd you get this radio? I don't even know what I said. Uh, you know, I found it. <laughs> I don't know what I said, some lie or something like that. And then I think he found out that a house got broken into and a radio got stolen. And then he came back and was like, where'd you get that radio? You know, uh, yeah, I was busted. But, you know, it was, I, I was listening to the voice of evil, even at eight years old. Um, but now that we're older, <laughs> we still have people, right, who are trying to persuade us to do certain things or to not do certain things. They could be friends. They could be family members. Uh, could be just straight in our, in our minds, straight from the devil himself, just saying, do this thing. So I love the book of Proverbs because... I feel like nobody talks to us like that, like, like the book of Proverbs does, or just like the Bible does in general. But verse 15 says, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. Don't do it. It just kind of calls us to that. We need to dig into the word because nobody tells us this stuff. You know, when we're getting enticed by something, Nobody's there yelling at us, right? Nobody's there warning us. But that's why we need the word of God to be inside of us. And then he gives the reason why you shouldn't walk in the way of sin. Because their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. In vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. I have no idea what that means. If you can figure it out, that's, a, that's one of the riddles, all right? No idea. No idea. But these men lie and wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. In other words, their actions will destroy themselves. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Then he says, wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. Wisdom, you know, kind of personified. Of course, it could be the Holy Spirit, right? Is wisdom, the spirit of wisdom. But it's, it's personified as a, as, a, as a lady. Wisdom, but it... I think the idea here is it's accessible. It's out there. Wisdom is not this thing hidden away in a church or in a temple or in a dusty book. Wisdom is out there. Like I said, we're born with a conscience. Out in the busy streets, the Holy Spirit is out there in the world just as much as he's here in our hearts or in our church. The Spirit is speaking Throughout the earth and even all the heavens, right? Declare the glory of God. Romans 1 says people are without excuse. People know what is right and what is wrong. And so here's the question. 
how long, oh simple ones, again, naive, ignorant, those who are choosing to be ignorant, how long, oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? When you say how long, that implies uh, foolishness, doesn't it? It implies displeasure. Kind of like when a parent is like, how long are you going to sit there? Your mom asked you to put away your stuff three times. How long are you going to sit there and ignore her? You know, it's, it's not usually like, hey, I'm just wondering how long. What's your timing on things? It, it, it has, there's an urgency of this. There's a, like, how long? Because you shouldn't be waiting any longer. You need to, like, stop being ignorant and naive and simple and come to the truth and receive God's wisdom and do the right thing. (laughs) That's what's implied there. Verse 23, if you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you and make my words known to you. Now catch that. It's a small phrase. If you turn at my reproof, it doesn't say if If you will just start attending church, if you will just start reading Christian books, then I will pour out my spirit upon you. If you will just start reading the Bible, if you'll go to a Bible study every single week without fail, then I will pour out my spirit. It doesn't say that. It says, if you will turn at my reproof, my correction, when I speak to you about something that is wrong in your life, something that needs to change about your life. Come on, we can all, la, 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 la. I don't really hear you, Holy Spirit. I don't really want to do that right now. I'll do some things that the Bible tells me to do, but other things I'm not going to really pay attention to. And we can sort of shut our ears to the reproof of God. But he's saying, if you receive the reproof, let it break you. You make changes in your life and adjust your lifestyle. God says, I will pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you. That's exciting. That implies intimacy, doesn't it? That implies fullness and abundance and God pouring out his presence upon us and hearing God's voice and sort of understanding, getting a feast of revelation and wisdom inside of you. Uh, why? Because we turn at the reproof of God. And the book of Proverbs will, will talk a lot about that. You'll see this idea of how we respond to correction and reproof. So let me come in for a landing because it's getting long. Uh, I'll just read the next several verses. It says, because I have called, this is very sobering here. It's kind of a, you know, I guess, warning, uh, judgment of sorts. It says, because I have called you and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh 
at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. You don't hear this verse too much. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and they despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. It's interesting. It's a topic that's not really talked about very often in Scripture, but do you know that the Bible has some tension to it in the sense that, like sometimes we say, well, you know, no matter even if, you fall away, and even if you backslide, and even if you, you know, kind of disregard the wisdom of God and, and, and just close your ears to God's reproof and sort of waste your life in, in sin, uh, you know, you can, you can come. The Lord will receive you if you, if you turn back to him. And, and you know, he's, he'll just say, okay, you know, like the, we all, the prodigal son story. And there, that is there. Right. There is the prodigal son stories and there are verses in, in the Bible that say, you know, if you turn away from me, but then if you come back, you know, I will restore you and all that. But then there there are some other verses in the Bible that say give this idea of almost like being given over to sin. There's enough tension there where you can't really presume that, hey, even if I fall away, I can always come back. Even if I. Even if I just, you know, reject the counsel, I'm going to come, you know, eventually I'm going to pull it together. Eventually I'm going to get right with God, uh, but just not now, you know, because I know the Lord is so good and so gracious. He'll receive me. Actually, the Bible doesn't promise that. There are some frightening verses like, return to me with all your heart, with weeping and fasting and mourning. Perhaps the Lord will pour out his blessing upon you. Perhaps. What do you mean perhaps? Imagine, imagine if I, I said that to one of my kids, you know, perhaps if you, uh, you know, apologize right now, I will continue to let you live in the house. Perhaps. But it's enough to, again, put the fear of God in us to not presume on his grace, to not try to pull one over on God. or to, You know, the Bible says God is not mocked. If we sow to the flesh, we'll reap destruction. Like, we can't play games with the grace of God or use it as a license to sin or live however we're going to live now. But then, you know, we'll pull together later on. I don't know. This, this saying right here, we will call upon him and he will not answer. We will seek him diligently, but not find him. Why? Because, you know, you kind of made your bed, now you have to lie in it. You, you chose that path. You chose to hate knowledge. You chose to disregard reproof. You chose to close your ears 
to the correction of your parents or your preachers or your mentors, and you chose to just do it your own way. And that's what it says here. You will, you will kind of eat the fruit of your own ways. That, to me, is terrifying. That should put the fear of God in us to just keep right with the Lord. The last verse says this, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So we'll end on that great note that when we, when we do you know, put our trust in the Lord and we do listen to his reproof and, and listen to God's voice, he makes us secure. He makes us solid. He makes us like a tree planted by streams of water. Right? Jesus gave the great analogy of the two houses, right? One built on the rock, one built on the sand. Right? It wasn't, wasn't that the house uh, built on the sand didn't, you know, that person didn't know the word of God. If you read that parable, the distinguishing difference between the two people was that one heard the word of God and obeyed. The other one heard the word of God and didn't obey. So it wasn't a matter of Bible knowledge, you know, having an understanding of the gospel, right? The demons understand the gospel, but they're lost. They're not saved. What makes us strong is that we hear the word of God and we do it. It's the obedience that is the rock that that house was built on. Of course, Jesus is the rock. He enables us to be faithful and to obey. He gives us the power. All credit and glory goes to him. But sometimes we give him so much glory in sort of a weird kind of way that we take no responsibility for our own actions. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, it's like if we do good, well, it was the Lord, you know, it was all God. You know, I didn't have anything to do with it. He just, I don't know, he just made me obey. Like, like we're robots or something like that. No, the grace of God is sufficient. He's there. Every temptation, you know, he gives us a way of escape because his power and grace is available for us. But how about when we sin? You know, is, it, is that our fault? You see what I'm saying? Like sometimes we, we give... We need to take our response. God has his role. He provides the grace. He saves us. He pulls us out of sin. He provides everything we need for life and godly living. It says in 2 Peter chapter 1, right? He provides it, but he doesn't force it on us. He doesn't stuff it into us. He doesn't drive us. Like a robot, he offers it in our moment of temptation. He offers it every moment of every day of our lives. And we choose whether or not we're going to fear the Lord or not. We choose whether or not we're going to appropriate the grace that he has provided or not. It's not his fault. We choose. Um, so yeah, my prayer for us is that we would recover 
biblical virtue and that we would understand right and wrong and that we would be moved, driven by, driven by the fear of the Lord to do the right thing. It's so much is at stake. Like I said earlier, not just your own uh, relationship with God, but it's the credibility of the church. We need to shine brightly in this day. And people are falling away. You know, if I had a dollar for every person that acted like I'm not going to fall away, I'm fine. I'm just, you know, I'm just going to do this thing and I'm not, yeah, you know, they just blow off my pastoral admonition. And I'm like, all right. And they don't follow it the next day. But it eventually catches up. Like the imagery in Isaiah 30, it's like a, a wall that is bulging, just slowly beginning to crack and open up. And eventually it just crumbles. Don't let any cracks be in your foundation. Don't for a minute think that any, anything in your life that is sinful is okay. Don't go to Christians and say, hey, do you think this is okay? Don't ask Christians that. Ask God if it's okay. Go to the word of God. This is how we need to live our life according to this book. But you say, oh, yeah, but nobody's really doing it. Nobody's really obeying the Bible. It seems like I don't, I don't, I don't know any Christians that are like really doing all of this in the book. That's scary. If, if that's the case, I, I don't think they were saying that in the New Testament, in the early church. There was an expectation that we need to be doing with. The Bible says, none of these commandments are too difficult that I give you today. First John 5 says, the commandments of God are not burdensome. It is required of everyone who is a Christian that we would live holy and godly and righteous lives above reproach. Don't let anyone deceive you or fool you into thinking anything otherwise. Amen? Amen. Thanks for letting me pastor you, father you a little bit today. Love you guys. We're going to do, I guess.